0: Oh, cheers and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at Of Scrum, I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just email me at Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, As always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend. There was a lot to talk about. We may even run what my my mom might call a smidgen long. So let's jump right in. So we start off with our current updates. And you know what? Actual baseball has begun again here in the United States, which means it's almost time for Little League. So my son, He's beyond excited. First, you know, just to get out and start playing again, but also because he's again been assigned to the royal blue team, which is his favorite color. He really, you know, he really does seem to have an aptitude for this game. Um, He's still scared of catching the proper way. If they can get him to catch the balls correctly this year, I mean, he's good to go. He's already got a good throwing arm. He's a natural batter for sure. So it could be a great season for him and for us, I guess. So much like last year, we'll have practices on Tuesdays and Thursdays with games on Saturday mornings. I'm actually pretty excited for this whole thing to kick off again. So wish us both good luck. He, he's such a good kid. So his mom is actually away this week. She's in Iceland with her sister. And at bedtime tonight, he said, with mommy gone, you're the only person I can hug. <laughs> I know. It sounds kind of like a backhanded compliment. But you know what? I will take it. He's He's it. it. People have to know. Yes, Isa, I think it is good news this week. So World Rugby is considering adopting orange cards for the World Cup, according to the governing body's head of match officials. So a form of the yellow card review system is being trialed in Super Rugby Pacific, as I've mentioned, and it could be fast-tracked into the global showpiece hosted by France this autumn. While players can still be given a red card for instances of foul play, The referee has the option of showing a yellow card that can be then upgraded uh, to red on review by the TMO. The idea of the initiative is to speed up the game by reducing the number of on-field replays of incidents, while also dealing with contentious decisions, such as the dismissal of England fullback Freddie Stewart against Ireland last month. So if if I can switch to my old guy on the World Rugby Board voice... This is an operation being tested in Super Rugby. In the event of a 50-50 decision, the reverie has the possibility of giving yellow cards so the game can resume as soon as possible. While the TMO has 10 minutes to decide whether this should be turned into a permanent expulsion, we we would give orange cards, clearly. Side note, in Super Rugby, it's 8 minutes, not 10, and thank you for tolerating that accent. Okay. That brings us to our reviews for the weekend. And you know what? I did something a little bit different this week, putting up a poll asking which competition should be our focus this week. And I was very pleased to see you almost universally picked the URC, which is down to its final two rounds with playoff seedings online. Uh, But you know, before we get to that quick, important side note, the women's six nations was on full boil this weekend. I've been advertising over and over my chat with the incredible Rachel Law that's to you know where we're gonna go over what's been and what's to come. But Rachel, like so many women in, in similar positions, had her actual paying job take precedence last weekend. I mean, <laughs> to be perfectly frank, She was nose to the stone from 6.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. on the day we had planned on talking, so that conversation hasn't yet happened. We are in the midst of rescheduling. Please stay tuned for updates. There's just no one I'd rather talk to about this than her, so the sooner we have her voice back on the show, the better for everyone. This weekend, just quickly, uh, Wales became England's latest victim, 3 to 59. Italy took down struggling Ireland 24 to 7, and finally, clearly most painfully, France, Ran in nine tries to shut out Scotland 55 to zip. Yikes. So, as I mentioned in the URC, before this weekend, Leinster were already guaranteed home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs, but three teams were still vying for that second place. Before our action started this weekend, Stormers were barely holding on to it by just two points over Ulster. Glasgow were also theoretically in contention. Munster were in fifth place with Sharks nipping at their heels while Connacht and the Bulls were in possession of the final two slots. Benetton and Cardiff were both hoping to spoil those parties. And I swear to God, we were were living in a world where, in theory, Connacht and Benetton could both be playoff teams while no Welsh sides could even see a moment of postseason action. What a wackadoodle season. Oh, my gosh. So. Our first offering was on Friday Sharks versus Benetton. Benetton, they've been great at home all year, but a bit shaky on the road, so this was going to be a tough challenge for them in Durban. They looked up to it, however, getting 14 points before 14 minutes had elapsed. Sharks tied it up. We were locked at 14 as they finally headed to the lockers, well past 40 minutes. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like sharks should be way higher on the table this year? They have Sia Colisi, they have Lacanio Um, they have Macazzoli Mopimpi, they have Oxniche. The list goes on and on. They just they look like world beaters on paper, but they just haven't clicked this year as well as it feels like they should have, you know? Anyway, the the home side, they scored first in the second half, but Benetton, they came to play this week. And as we rolled into the final quarter, it was a single conversion separating these two teams. A great contest. To my point about Sharks not being as good as they should be, I think the the problem has to be on the defensive side of the ball, as they tend to leak tries big time. In the end, they did get 43 points and a bonus point win, but Benetton got a bonus point of their own and scored 33 on them. Probably not a good way to head into the playoffs. So... Glasgow versus Scarlets was next, and thanks to friend of the pod, John Anderson, I heard about the result before I had a chance to watch it. Definitely a lump of coal for him for Christmas next year, but I, I, I suppose I'll get over it. I honestly didn't think there was, you know, too much chance of Scarlet stealing one on the road this week anyway, so... Sure enough, they did not. To Scarlett's credit, they held their host to, uh, completely scoreless for a full thirty-five minutes. They technically did hold a lead at the intermission. Neither side, of, uh, you know, able to operate effectively in the massive deluge. It wasn't until after fifty-five minutes had gone by that the Warriors managed to find the lead, and it was still a, a barren affair in terms of, of points. It was twelve to nine after three quarters. With an attacking scrum as the clock ebbed towards 80, Scarlets had a legit chance to shock the faithful at Scottson, but it was not to be. The home team winning at home once again, ensuring a quarterfinal at home at the very least. What a year for Franco Smith and his charges. Wow. Ulster versus Dragons was also on Friday. They started by telling us about how Cooney and Stockdale had both re-signed with the club just this week, along with a, you know several other players, while on Dragon side of things, there were at least as many players who have no idea what they'll be doing next year. Ugh, it, it, uh, what a situation. Anyway, it, it was 19-7 to 7 at halftime. Jacob Stockdale, he was having a great game. Good to see him getting back to his old form a bit. Dragons made a brave run. They got themselves within a converted try. But the Ulstermen clamped down and ended up with a convincing win to put them, for the moment, ahead of the Stormers in the race for second place. Final score 40 to 19. Bulls versus Zebre turned into our, you know, official blowout of the week. The the 14 fans in the stadium seeming as bored as I was, Zebre are down to one final chance to get a win this year. Two positives from this one. A, it was a gorgeous day out. That's always nice. B, Holly Davidson was the lead referee. I always enjoy seeing her out there. She's, you know, for me, still tops of all the officials as far as I'm concerned. Your bloated final score in this one with Chris Smith getting an insult to injury try right as the clock went red. 78 to 12, a 90 point monster of a game in Johannesburg. So, Lions versus Leinster. This one would have ordinarily been a mere formality, but Leinster, they've been very clever on top of everything else they've been this year, getting a big enough margin between themselves and any prospective second place teams that they can effectively throw this one out, and maybe even the next round as well, without even worrying about it. As such, they sent down the most inexperienced side any team in the URC has fielded this year, giving academy and what they called sub-academy players a look down in South Africa, experience for the young guys, rest for the older guys, and who knows? This is Leinster. I wouldn't put it past them to get a shock win. Speaking of which, it was Vectang abdeladze getting his first start for the visitors, and his first touch and first carry became a bruising Try grabbing his team, the lead a minute and a half into the contest. Lions recovered, of course, and around 36 minutes, uh, their eighth man showed some impressive footwork to smash one through to give them a real advantage. 26 to 14. You had to wonder if the Irish younglings would be able to hang for the full 80 just prior to the final 20 minutes. Leinster found themselves down two players, a penalty try, making it 36 to 21. Were we in for our first Leinster loss of this year? With 10 minutes left, they were back within a single score. With five minutes remaining, they were all square. I mean, does this team have like access to cheat codes or something? An unbelievable ending with Leinster getting a penalty at the death and smacking it through for the win. The kick by the man they kept calling Pentecost. All night. What a ridiculous outcome. The Lions should be embarrassed at this point. The visitors winning with the squad so young, they probably lifted a few apple juices in the locker room to celebrate afterwards. 36 to 39 was the upset total. What on earth? So Stormers versus Munster was next on the list. This one might have been the one I've looked forward to most for weeks. They had Alan Quinlan on comms, who I spent a lot of time listening to on a couple of different podcasts. It was interesting how different he sounded actually, you know, like all excited and in the moment rather than reflecting on an outcome after the fact. If I could buy an audio filter, by the way, that would make me sound anything like him, you bet I would pay top dollar for that. So Snyman, he got his second consecutive start. I believe it was actually Alan uh, Quinlan who had been saying that recently that he's nowhere near ready to, you know, take on that kind of role in his rehab. But uh, I guess we'd find out. So a perfect start. For the visitors then, scoring and converting the first try just a couple of minutes in, the number of fans who'd made the trip to see them was pretty impressive. Uh, the comms mentioned that Stormers could guarantee their second-place finish in the URC this year with nine points from these two final contests, so the drama was indeed mounting. <laughs> At one point, Peter O'Mahani he just stabbed a guy. He just whipped out a knife and stabbed a guy. They immediately pinged the South African for bleeding on a rock. Okay, that that might not have happened, but that's what it feels like watching him. Oy vey already. Uh, Stormers, they managed to get a try right at the horn, and we went into halftime tied at 12. Both teams scored a try apiece over the next half hour, but the lack of a conversion by Stormers meant they had their backs against the wall for the final 10. A bonus point try ensured two points for the reigning champs, but in the end, Munster, they were too much for them. When all was said and done, it was an impressive away win for Munster, 24-26. to 26. Stormers not looking at all like a team that can repeat for me. I mean, the gulf between them and Leinster just became cavernous. So Edinburgh versus Ospreys was next. They said a fond farewell to Mike Blair, coaching his last game at the goddamn Hill before moving on to, quote, take a breath, unquote. I'm pretty sure he said. Edinburgh, they had a try bonus point before. The first quarter was up. It was 35-7. to 7. Then at halftime, not good signs from the Ospreys. They did not have good body language early on. Uh, Edinburgh, they went on to find a level they just haven't spent much time on this year thoroughly busting up their guests by a considerable margin, a big 45 to 21 victory to get their second uh, win in the last 10 matches in the URC Connacht versus Cardiff with the last match of the weekend in the URC. And at the top, the comms were saying how success here and in Europe would help Cardiff with recruitment in the off season, which really cracked me up. Who are you recruiting? Like me? You can't pay your current players. There will ostensibly be a raft of them leaving as quickly as they can find themselves able. like. What player is thinking right now, Oh, I hope to sign with Cardiff in the offseason. Like, it's it's absolute insanity. Anyway, Connacht, they got the first try of the evening, really started to click, gathering up a bonus point with several minutes left in the first half. Bundy Aki uh, in off the bench. He had a massive impact. The home team getting another win at the sports ground, 38-19. to The big question, will Glasgow field a weaker side next week to rest players for the playoffs? I mean, I kind of don't think so. Meanwhile, over in the premiership, we're also getting near the finish line with just, you know, four slots to fight for in terms of postseason ambitions. This week, (laughs) the slate began with Bristol versus Sale, or at least most people had that on their list. And I'm not going to lie, I completely forgot about this one. I I have no idea how. Good news is for me. I have an extra little treat to watch during the week, though I do fear Sharks probably absolutely mopped the floor with the Bears. No spoilers, please, online. So next up was, of course, Gloucester versus Bath. Gloucester started the game as the comms said, quote, as well as they have played in quite some time, unquote. But when they got a penalty try and a yellow against them, Bath were ready to pounce, got themselves within three at the break. You know, this game had a lot of, that thing where you get tackled into touch and the tackler then just sort of tussles your hair, clearly just to, you know, try to get a rise out of you. And it made me wonder has anyone ever done that to Charles Pietau? What would happen if you tried that? Would your hand just break? Would your fingers just kind of fall off like they were frozen? Anyway, uh, we then had a pretty funny moment where De Glanville had gotten an intercept and was herring up the left wing, but oh, it's Ray Summit! was the player giving Chase the comms started to say something to the effect of, well, let's see how long he can stay ahead of him. And they all got, oh, they only got through, well, let's sit before Zamet had bundled him up into touch. Classic. So right at the three-quarter mark, it was Bath taking their first lead of the night. But when they appeared in, the dan- in danger of, you know, like winning a game, they probably got themselves yellow-carded to lighten the load on Gloucester a bit. Naturally, Gloucester were like, oh, you think you guys are bad? Hold my beer. And they shanked a penalty kick, then did nothing until time was up, losing yet again at home. Bath taking their first win away to Gloucester in five years, twenty four to thirty three. Then it was Harlequins versus Newcastle, and at the top, the comms said the Quins were still hopefully in contention, which I didn't think was true, but you know maybe there's some contingency, I guess. Um, lovely day at the Stoop with Falcons quote playing for pride unquote as they said, but Harlequins. They looked out of sorts, as they have quite a lot lately. Lowly Newcastle are up 10 after a half hour. And here's an amazing one for you. Harlequin's first score was a try to Hazen his first try of the year. Are you even kidding me with that guy? So just on halftime, it was Lewis Leinach back after nine months and two knee surgeries, scoring his first try of the season. How good. And his Quins took a narrow lead into the break, maintaining that momentum. The home side really started to unlock the visitors. A sweet, sweet pass from Lydic to Dombrand got a lovely try in the corner to make it 22 to 13. After another missed conversion, Marcus Smith's boot for passing completely on fire. But for points, another another story for sure. Dombrand, though, he was through for a brace. And this one was over. Falcons crashing to earth after a good showing early, forty eight to twenty by the end. For Northampton versus Saracens, I only caught the last five minutes or so. And uh, when Northampton at the point at that point, they were already up fourteen with Ceres down a player. Didn't see that one coming at all. thirty eight to nineteen was the final score. Saracens missing a conversion that would have given them a losing bonus point, though at this point, it's probably academic. So Leicester versus Exeter would end the action for the week in the Premiership, and they mentioned an interesting, I mean, sort of quasi-stat right at the outset, that due to how much Exeter liked to play and keep the ball in hand, particularly in the middle of the third of the pitch, they quoted the tiger uh, the staff as saying they figured they'd need to end up making about 60 more tackles than their average. I just... I don't think I've ever heard a coach say something like that. Very interesting. So what wasn't interesting was this game. I mean, I don't know what it is. These two teams together, they're like a giant sleeping pill. Maybe that's just me. Of course, Chris Chris Ashton, his record 99th try in the Premiership right at halftime. Even I got excited for that one. What a career he's had. That made it 22-12, headed to the lockers in the second half. It looked like he was in for his 100th, but it was called back much to the chagrin of the entire booth. That moment actually became quite a controversial one, as the ref ruled that Ollie Woodburn dove on him after he'd been tackled, possibly preventing a try, which made it a penalty try and a yellow, and because Woodburn had already gotten a yellow before, that made it a red, just a, a cascade of misfortune for the visitors. That counted as Ashton's 100th try, and he'd get another one for good measure, his Tigers' Utterly destroying the Chiefs. It was 62-19 to at the end. Wow. Okay, over in France, they still have, like, what? Like, 72 more rounds to play, I'm pretty sure? (laughs) This week, in the top 14, we had our usual full slate. And I admit, I caught only bits and pieces this week. It was a busy weekend. It was tough to fit it all in. So, we did begin with a good one, though. However, it was Racing 92 versus bordeaux begla Rassing's troubles continued. Bordeaux led 24 to 28 and a nail biter despite a three-to-one try deficit, thanks in large part to Maxime Lucou's eight successful kicks. Unbelievable. It was a penalty try to Rassing right at the death that brought them home. Just a crusher for my guys in the top 14, 31 to 28. Ouch. The comms mentioned this result was significant in terms of playoff hopes and seating, but we'll get to that in the next week or so. Poe versus Claremont was a good showing by Poe, holding their guests trialless until there was maybe, you know, a quarter hour to go. In the end, it was a near thing. The home team squeaking by 23 to 18. Montpellier versus Cast was next and saw our first road win. Cast overtaking their hosts 19 to 28. And then it was Breve versus Stade Francais. Breve went up 14-0 early only to have the drink boxes tied them up right before halftime Brieve didn't score another try until past the 80 minute mark. And we had our second away win of the week in the top 14. It was 22 to 27 by the end. After that, it was Toulon versus Perpignan. And I got to say, during the intermission, we were treated to long, languid shots of the gorgeous Mediterranean just there off the southern coast of France. What a spot they get to play in! So anyway, the, the home team, they dominated the entire way. The crowd were berserk as they scored the, with the clock well in the red to make it an emphatic 37-15 to 15 total. The final Saturday fixture was La Rochelle versus Bayonne The visitors managed just two penalty kicks the entire evening. Ronan O'Gara's side grabbing four points from the 26 2 win at home. Toulouse versus Lyon was our final match of the weekend. It was a gorgeous evening. I have to say the the French producers have done a smashing job this weekend of giving us just pure shots of beauty. Usually it's only the Kiwis who take the extra time to just sort of wow us with the surroundings leading up to these matches. I very much appreciate that. So there was a ton of stuff to talk about right off the bat. We had internationals out the wazoo. Limo Sapuanga, he was back, as well as Ange Capuazzo, uh, back from his cheek injury, as they called it. Nice to see both those guys back out there, and this week, They didn't even wait until the game had started to let us know that Christian Wade has, in fact, played in the NFL. So, Leon, they came out in destroy mode, just nabbing two tries and a 14-point edge in the first 10 minutes. (laughs) So... I went through several drafts. I I was going to talk about the bizarro world substitutions and the comms insane rantings about it, but I realized that would be like a whole separate podcast, which I almost want to do. So suffice to say there was a multitude of changes on the field before Toulouse even got on the board. Take a look at the replay and watch for when Dupont came on, came in and who he came in for very weird stuff, but effective. The lead leaders hanging on for a gritty win. 36 to 31 as the evening and the round wrapped up. So moving on to Super Rugby Pacific to get us started. It was the first ever actual official home game for Moana Pacifica who were taking on the Reds at Apia Park in Samoa. I was so rooting for them. The biggest factor heading into this one was definitely the weather. It was 90 plus degrees with 99% humidity, just brutal conditions We were treated to a new trivia question early on, by the way. Who is the first Moana Pacifica player to score a try in Apia? The answer is Miracle Fialangi, a local guy who grew up just a couple of clicks away from the stadium. What a great story he has. So sadly, down 14 to 21, it looked certain that the home side had broken away on the wing for an equalizing score. But a simple handling error turned it into Reds ball, presto. It was 14 to 28, which is how we went into the break. The players visibly wilting under the heat. Moana Pacifica, they weren't able to get any more points until we were into the final quarter of play. A second try for the Miracle Man, in fact. But by that time, their guests had racked up 40 points. As the sun set, though, oh, the crowd. They, be, they became increasingly alive. Despite the score differential, the atmosphere was just off the charts. What a great event. I did look ahead and I saw that this was the first and only scheduled match in Samoa this season. Still unclear on the reasons, but I hope they can work that out for next year. It's just a completely different team in front of their home fans, and what an atmosphere. It's amazing. They managed another score just before full-time. The crowd still just going nuts. and By the end, it was a 28-40 win for the visitors in steamy Samoa. Uh, the Brumbies versus the Drua. That was next. It looked like a runaway for the, the Brumbies until their discipline just completely let them down, getting two yellow cards and allowing their guests to get right back in at 19-14 to 14 at the break. Side note, during the intermission, they showed some highlights from the Super W match that had apparently been played just prior to this match. A doubleheader, and yet, as far as I can tell, those games aren't available anywhere. What gives? The FPC is available. Super Rugby Alpiki was available. Why won't they let us watch the Super W anyway? The Drua they got real close late in the game. Appeared to score. Go ahead, try, but it was called back. That happened quite literally twice more before they coughed it up. Rumbies went down to the other end. Drua got pinged for a collapsing mall. penalty try. Yellow card. Game over. Forty-three to twenty-eight. Was the score in Canberra? Hurricanes versus Chiefs was next, and it was a gorgeous day for a clash of the top teams. And can I just say again how amazed I am at the complete and thorough saturation of KFC in New Zealand? I know we all wear our branded garments of various kinds, but the fact that a fast food chain has convinced fans at public sporting events to wear their chicken buckets on their head, I mean, that's just next level. Anyway, this was a fun one. The home team ahead 17-8 to eight before going into the changing rooms. This one actually got really, really good, but a late yellow card to bring Gatland spelled doom for the home side. A sweet try by McKenzie, stealing the deal with Hurricanes scoreless in the second half. It was 17-33 to 33 in a convincing victory, and then Wartaz versus the Force. This was the final fixture of the Super Rugby itinerary this week. And for the Force, They came out in the Bumblebee kit. I love that. I I always appreciate that. Just something classic about it. I don't know. Unfortunately, when you look at the force, there's something inherently broken about this team. They're like 80% of a professional club, but can never get that final piece. It's always the same. It was a perfect example in the first half. They got a beautiful intercept. They break away. They're pouring down the left wing with numbers. Great pass. Lovely offload. Then, boop. The final link-up pass misses its target, shoots right out into touch, opportunity over. That's just the story of this team over and over every week. It must be a nightmare to be a fan, seeing them constantly so close, but never getting it done. I think from now on, we should call them the Western farce. In this one, they were down 22-6 at Allianz Stadium at halftime. Taz looking to make a statement, of course, (laughs) Wartos, <laughs> they're far from per- perfect themselves, allowing their guests to claw partway back with only 30% possession in the second half of the TOS. But as I already said, the Forests couldn't get out of their own way, eventually losing yet again, this time by 20, to a team only getting their second victory of the year. It was 36-16 to 16 in New South Wales to wrap up the round. Okay, coming home to the MOR, and did you see the scoreboard? Did you see the scoreboard? It was my beloved Free Jacks utterly destroying Toronto on their home turf, setting a major league rugby record by dropping a full 80 points on their hosts. The most of the weekend in all the leagues I've just covered just now, the Toronto Arrows managed just one unconverted try, just an all time historic beatdown unbelievable quoting from the official match report quote the 80 points were the most ever scored in a major league rugby game since the league's inception in 2018 breaking the previous record of 69 set by the utah warriors in march of 2022 in a 69 to 22 win over dallas the 70 point uh margin of victory also was the largest ever in an mlr match the free jacks scored eight First half tries, including two penalty tries, and held a commanding fifty-four to zero lead after forty minutes. Before Saturday, New England had scored fifty points in any match just once in its four-year history. That was fifty-seven to five over New Orleans in uh, that, that was last May. So uh, that's unquote. Uh, Jason Patras, of course, he nailed eight of his ten conversion attempts. Two of our guys had braces of tries. LaRue Milan and Andrew Quatran, and more on him later. It was a terrible day to be an Eros fan. It's difficult to see things improving for them this year. My Free Jacks return home on Saturday to face a tougher challenge in Rugby Atlanta, so you know I'll be there shouting my fool head off as always. Elsewhere. Houston versus Dallas was another home win for the Thundercats with the Jackals continue to grow and improve final score 33 to 21 uh, at what, what do they call their stadium anyway for the Thundercats? They call it the litter box. anyway, for NOLA versus Atlanta, the home side really struggled with the rebranders getting an easy win, 7-23 down in the gold mine. Then we had a very tasty matchup between the two top teams, Utah versus Seattle out in the West. Seattle suffered suffered uh, just their second loss of the year, falling 41-35. to That brings the Seawolves down to third place in the West, getting leapfrogged by a surging Houston team. DC versus New York was the penultimate match of the weekend. I am very, very pleased to report that DC took down the vinyl siding salespeople for the first time in their history, winning an impressive style, 42 to 31. Finally, San Diego versus Chicago turned into a, a good old double up. The Legion putting the leashes on the hounds, 48 to 24. What a great season! <laughs> My friends, by that music, you will know. It's time for this week's Diamond and the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Andrew Quatrin. Drew, you haven't been here all that long, but you're already in full beast mode this weekend you proved Cole Keith's prophecy correct by scoring two tries for any of you who somehow missed it Drew and Cole came onto the show last month for a fantastic chat and Drew even effectively turned the mic back on me which no guest has ever done before Mr. Quatrin your efforts spelled doom for our friends in the great white north this weekend congratulations to you my friend for you are this week's diamond in the ruck well done sir Okay, updates and previews. Next weekend is, of course, round four in the Women's Six Nations. Please stay tuned for a Rachel Law update. That conversation is still fo- uh, hopefully forthcoming. Next weekend will, of course, feature Ireland at home at Musgrave Park to face England. Ooh, that's going to hurt. Scotland are back at home to take on Italy. Ooh, intriguing. And France are in Grenoble to host Wales. Meanwhile, it's the final round of the URC, and we'll have two Friday fixtures, Stormers versus Benetton, in Stellenbosch. Uh, Not sure where their final home game is at a different, smaller stadium than usual, but okay. Then, it's Ulster, at home for Edinburgh, who will be glad to see the tail end of this awful season. On Saturday, it's Lions- and Zebra's last chance to get a W on the year. Good luck with that. I don't see it coming. Then it's Bulls versus Leinster. <laughs> I mean, they're basically going to call me this week. They're going to be so like, nah, we don't care who plays. We're going to win it anyway. Um, then it's Dragons versus Scarlets, Sharks versus Munster, Ospreys versus Cardiff, and finishing out the regular season. It will be the surprisingly good Glasgow warriors taking a taking on my also surprisingly good Connacht. So over in the prem, it's going to be Newcastle versus Northampton on Friday, Exeter versus Bristol. Won't be watching that garbage Harlequins versus bath and Gloucester versus sale on Saturday. And then it's Saracens taking on London. Irish at the stone X could be a lot of implications for that one. So, in the top 14, it's six Saturday games, La Rochelle versus Clermont, Bayonne versus Montpellier, Breve versus Poe, Cast versus Toulon, Perpignan versus Racing 92, and then a real cracker, Stade Francais at home for Toulouse. On Sunday, it's the Border Beagles taking on Lyon. Back here in the MLR, we'll have my Free Jacks at home for Atlanta. You know I'll be there. D.C. versus Utah, Dallas versus San Diego. Yikes. Chicago, we'll be back at the Seat Geek for Nola, and finally, the New York Pet Psychics will be taking on Houston. Well, my friends, that does it. For another week, I Honestly, they can't decide if i'm happy or sad that so many competitions are approaching their ends right now on one hand i mean ugh, the rugby is so so good right now and it just gets better as the stakes continue to rise but soon i mean there'll be a lot less happening it's just it's just a fact uh, i don't know how i feel anyway quickly for the record i say leinster Win the URC, Saracens win the premiership, and Toulouse win the top 14. I know, not exactly controversial, pretty much going shocked the whole way, but I they don't play these games on paper. And uh we'll see, of course, what we shall see. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers, talk to you soon, and be well.